Anna Shank, was about 93 years old, nearly blind, and even more challenging, Anna had difficulty sleeping at night. On one visit that Loretta and I made to her home, I asked her how she copes with not sleeping, and she smiled and said, you know, when I can't sleep, I have time to pray. And I pray for you, Pastor. I pray for my family. I pray for the members of our church. I don't have much. But God has blessed me richly. And I am so grateful. Over the past several weeks, we have been focusing on sacred currencies, time and money. And this morning we focus on sacred currencies and compassion for the poor. Throughout the entire scriptures, there are references of how we are to participate in that care for the poor, whether it is in the Old Testament or New Testament, whether it's from the teachings of Jesus or Paul, the consistent message throughout is that the care of the poor is a priority of God. It is the nature of God to care for those who are in need. We call that grace. So the instruction to us as children of God is to emulate the generosity of God by not withholding from anyone who has need. In other words, God is inviting us to join God in the caring for others, for the poor specifically. And so this morning, we focus on the two uh, stories demonstrating God's generous love and grace and an invitation for our response. In Deuteronomy, God is giving land as an expression of God's love and grace and provision for them. A reminder that all that we have belongs to God. Nothing we have belongs to us. And we belong to God. We came into the world with nothing. And God promised to meet our needs invites us to give generously to those in need, and we leave the world with nothing. Our value is not based on what we have or how much we're able to accumulate. As a result, we have an opportunity to bless God's children with what we steward. And then in 2 Corinthians... We have a fundraising letter from Paul to the church at Corinth. And I say it's a fundraising letter because indeed that's what it is. Over the years of fundraising, I have used this text in fundraising seminars to talk about various approaches that Paul packs into this text of various styles of fundraising, from guilt 
comparing them to Jesus and saying you ought to give like Jesus does, and on and on. But it's all in this text. That's not what I'm going to focus on this morning, however. But Paul begins by describing the churches in Macedonia who have been so blessed by the grace of God that even though they, they are living with persecution and disaster, their abundant joy in spite of their situation has overflowed in great generosity for the church in Jerusalem, which is believed to be an offering for the poor, <clears throat> and in fact, Paul goes on to say that the Macedonian churches voluntarily gave according to their means, based on what they were able to give, and they went beyond. And they begged to earnestly participate as partners in the ministry to the saints. It sounds like a bit of a formula, if you put it together, because of the generosity of Jesus for the church in Macedonia, plus the abundant joy on the part of the Macedonians, results in great generosity. Over the past four years, particularly, I have become keenly aware of needs among us, both locally and in my work in southwest Louisiana with Mennonite Disaster Service. In fact, if I were to have given this sermon four years ago, Phil, <laughs> it probably would have sounded very different than it does today. We generally think of ourselves as economically rich, self-sufficient, with a good income, savings accounts, retirement accounts, long-term health care, comfortable homes, a good family church, but there are things that happen, as all of us know. There are things that happen beyond our control, and we find ourselves in a position of need. While our need may not necessarily be financial, it may be psychological, it may be medical, it may be spiritual, it may be as a result of a natural disaster or a pandemic or recession or breakdown in family relationships. So at any moment, we may find ourselves as the ones in need. The good news is, is that God cares for us. And God loves and cares for us through others. During COVID, we had persons among us, even in this congregation, who gave of themselves and the gifts that God had given them in the healthcare industry, caring for the sick. There were others who were teachers and administrators who gave of themselves to, in caring for students, our children, our pastors, use their gifts and their role to give of themselves to walk alongside of families who had lost loved ones. And our pastors put together services 
that were in new formats to help us stay in contact with each other and still say, stay safe through COVID. But there were moments, there were moments throughout the last several years that these essential workers in the midst of all of it became tired and discouraged and were worn down and needed to be cared for. They became the needy among us. Seldom did we hear them complain. About a fourth of my time since January of 2021, I spent in Southwest Louisiana as the response coordinator for Mennonite Disaster Service. Southwest Louisiana suffered from COVID just like we did in Harrisonburg in 2020. But that's not all. In August of 2027, I'm sorry, in August, on August 27th of 2020, Hurricane Laura, whoa. Hurricane Laura made landfall on the coast of Louisiana as a category four storm with 150 mile per hour winds tied for the strongest hurricane to hit the state of Louisiana, even stronger than Hurricane Katrina. Less than a month and a half later, on October 9th, Hurricane Delta, a category two at 100 miles per hour, followed the same path as Hurricane Laura. And people say, thank God it wasn't as strong as Hurricane Laura. But the reality is, from Hurricane Laura, people put tarps on their roofs when they lost their roofs. And a month later, those tarps were ripped off by Hurricane Delta and flooded those homes. February of 2021, a few months later, there was an ice and snow event that all of us heard about in Texas, also hit Southwest Louisiana and took out about 70% of the water supply infrastructure. On Tuesday, May 17th of 2021, there was 18 inches of rain that fell on the city of Lake Charles in three hours. And so the families whose homes flooded from Hurricane Laura and again from Hurricane Delta were flooded again the third time from the 18 inches of rain on May 17th. August, a few months later, three tornadoes hit Lake Charles damaged and destroyed 75 more homes. That's Southwest Louisiana. Lake Charles is a city of 85,000 people and it's about 55 miles from the coast. And people say to me, why don't they move? And the reality is people came up from the coast to Lake Charles to get away. That's their home.
Today, there are still over 15,000 people who are displaced from their homes in southwest Louisiana. Businesses were destroyed. The homeless population has increased significantly. Rental properties were destroyed and there's been no help for the landlords. Rents began at $1,200 or more and those on minimum wage can't afford it if they can find rental properties at all. According to FEMA, the numbers that just came out, there are still over 6,000 homes in the city of Lake Charles that are still severely damaged and 12,000 that are moderately damaged. Homes that have new roofs on them today are still uninhabitable because of the mold that exists inside those homes. But that's not all. There's another disaster, and that is that contractor fraud is rampant in the area. Hundreds and hundreds of homeowners received FEMA money and insurance money, and contractors came to the door and said, we'll be glad to help you put on your roof and repair your house. But we need to be paid up front in order to buy the materials. They were paid and never returned. But there was little news about the disasters in southwest Louisiana in 2020 or 2021. And you'll remember 2020 because COVID filled the news. And as you get to the end of the year, it was the elections. And so there was very little money contributed by the general public in comparison to Hurricane Harvey only a few years before. There will never cease to be some in need among us. In Deuteronomy, If there is anyone among you in need, a member from your community or anyone from your towns within the land that the Lord your God has given you, do not be hard-hearted or tight-fisted toward your needy neighbor. You should rather open your hand, willingly lending enough to meet the need, whatever it may be. It's an invitation for us to live with open hands to others, being willing and ready to respond to the needs of others without expecting anything in return. I like to think of our responding as responding with our total being. It calls for us to respond with our eyes wide open, watching for those around us who are struggling and those who are in need. It means being welcoming and being sensitive to the poor, the immigrant, the refugees, the families, the neighbors, those within our family. It calls for listening. Proverbs 21:13 says, 
Do not close your ear to the cries of the poor or those in need. It's important for us to hear and understand the stories of those who are in need. One of my models in growing up was my dad. Some of you know that my dad was a farm machinery dealer. And when the customers came into the dealership, we would often hear them say, I want the price of a new tractor or a new combine. And dad would invite them into his office and he'd reach up on the bookshelf and grab the uh, price manual and place it on his desk. And after a while, the door would close to his office. And we would learn later that the customer really didn't want the price of a tractor. He didn't want the price of a combine, but rather he wanted a listening ear, someone who cared. And my dad was known in the community as one who cared for others, not just as customers, but as persons that dad loved and appreciated. So it calls for us to also speak, not only to see or to listen, but also to speak on behalf of the poor. Being advocates for those who are in need. I'm so grateful for the Parkview Mennonite Church and the Compassion Fund and the many who give to that Compassion Fund to those who have needs within this congregation and within the community. There are times also when it's important for us to say no, to say no to putting a Band-Aid on homes rather than repairing them in the way they should be fixed to mitigate against the next storm. We can do better. It means finding partnerships and reaching out to potential partners and funders who will share the, the same mission of assisting the poor. It means developing relationships sometimes with local, state, and federal leaders to explore ways of working together to meet the needs of those who are not able to recover from disasters on their own. In both passages of Deuteronomy and Corinthians, there's an invitation to action, to do something with the sacred currency that God has given us on behalf of those in need. And so open your hands, as Anna did, in opening up her heart in prayer. The Parkview Mennonite Church is known for doing something. You're a giving congregation, and many of you serve on boards within this community. You open your hands to making a difference in the lives of persons in need. In March of 2020, you opened your hands during COVID when members of this congregation helped to make masks for first responders. Persons from the congregation participated and invited others from other Mennonite churches in the community who joined us as well. 
And then persons from other denominations joined in, and in total, we made over 10,000 masks and distributed over 16,000 to, person, uh, to uh, persons in the community. You opened your hands in responding to making Tyvek gowns. If you don't know what Tyvek is, Tyvek is a wrap that we use on new homes. And we made gowns for first responders during COVID for first responders to wear when they went into critical situations or dangerous situations. Others opened their hand to retrofit hospital gowns, making them into staff gowns for nurses at VMRC. There were others who opened their hands in taking meals to students, EMU students who were in motels and in Airbnbs. And later there were others who participated in helping to park cars at the vaccination clinics or helped in the support lines at JMU. In all, there were 275 persons, at least, who opened their hands and voluntarily and joyfully responded in love to those in need during COVID. <clears throat> in 2 Corinthians 8, Paul says, For I do not mean that there should be relief for others and hardship for you, but it is a question of equality between your present abundance and their need, so that their abundance may also supply your need in order that there may be equality. I thought that was meaningfully <laughs> uh, portrayed this morning. Uh, and so thank you very much for doing that during the children's story. But it's an attitude of abundance as we work together rather than an, a, a, um, an approach of scarcity, an attitude of scarcity. What it means is, is sometimes repairing a car for someone who is in need. Other times it's providing groceries through the Compassion Fund, covering a month's mortgage for someone. It may mean replacing a roof and redoing the inside of a home. It may mean providing a functional bathroom to persons in need. It may be adding a handicap ramp, or building an entire home for someone. I love the image of the Amish barn raising when a neighbor loses his barn to fire or wind. Everyone comes together to rebuild that barn. But the next time, it may be me or it may be you that needs the neighbors to come to assist. There are a number of benefits. In Deuteronomy 15.10, give liberally and be ungrudging when you do so, and for in this account, the Lord will bless you in all your work and in all you undertake. 
that's a bit uncomfortable sometimes for us because we generally like to think of ourselves as giving without expecting anything in return and to admit that there are blessings and benefits to giving makes us feel a bit uncomfortable at times. However, I believe this passage, and after having spent the last year and a half in southwest Louisiana, I recognize there are benefits in responding to the needs of others. I don't get paid when I go to southwest Louisiana. I'm a volunteer. Our leadership volunteers who go for a month or two or three don't get paid. But the benefits are out of this world. Let me name a number of benefits that I have experienced. Number one is, is that the Jennings Church of Christ, who hosts the volunteers in southwest Louisiana, it's a congregation of 30, uh, 45 persons it's a congregation who had members of the, that experienced damage from the storm or storms. They had $285,000 of damage to the gymnasium behind their church from the ice and snow event. It destroyed their kitchen and their bathrooms. But in spite of their circumstances, they cannot be outgiven. The first month and a half, uh, yeah, first two and a half months that we were in Jennings, Louisiana, they provided the meals for all of our volunteers and never charged us anything for the food. Since then, even though we have our own cooks, Every evening, they bring in a dish of Southern cuisine for our volunteers to experience. And then there's Jim and Janet, who are also members of the congregation, who show up several times a week offering to do the laundry for our volunteers. And so in the midst of trauma, they give lavishly. They consistently say, what you do in our community is an extension of our ministry. We want to partner with you. Another benefit is unity. In a day when we are so divided theologically and politically, in the context of disaster, by focusing on the needs of others rather than focusing on our differences, and there are many, we continuously as partners celebrate our unity and love for each other. Mennonite Disaster Service's motto is that we will never go into a community alone and we're there to rebuild hope. And we partner with other organizations, bringing their gifts to the partnership, and together we respond 
to the need of the disaster survivors. And it's so refreshing to focus on the needs of others and how we as partners complement each other as a strength rather than focusing on the differences that separate us. The third benefit is in the midst of disaster, we, when we align with God's priorities, we see God at work. We often, as partners, talk about what we call God moments that we experience and observe on a day-to-day basis. Some might call them miracles. Others might simply call them luck. But they are things that we didn't plan for and things that we can't explain. And we celebrate them when we see them. There was a week when we needed electricians. And the next week, there were two electricians that showed up in the weekly volunteer group that came in. Several weeks after that, we needed plumbers. And in the next group, there were three plumbers that showed up that week. The last week in March, we needed an excavator operator to demolish a house trailer. We didn't know where we were going to get one, and I was thinking about calling around to see if we could find one, and one showed up in the next week of volunteers. Luck? Or was it God at work? And then there was the first home, one of the first homes that we worked on in the city of Iowa, and from, for those of you who know the spelling of Iowa, this is spelled the same way, but in southern Louisiana, it's called Iowa. I met with the mayor early one morning for about an hour and a half, and at the end of our conversation, he said, I need to introduce you to the person in charge of permitting and inspections. And her name is Kimberly. So when I met Kimberly, Kimberly asked, what kinds of repairs are we going to be doing on homes? So she would know what kind of permits to give us. And I said, we'll be replacing some roofs and doing soffit and fascia work. We'll be doing some floors, drywall, painting. But I said, you know, there's one house that I'm very concerned about right now because it's a house that has a sitting room in the back where the floor in the middle of the room has dropped four inches. And they've thrown a piece of plywood over that four-inch drop to keep from falling into the crawl space. And she interrupted me and said, you're talking about my grandparents. And I said, who are your grandparents? And they told me, she told me, And I said, you're exactly right. And she said, thank you, thank you, thank you for being willing to help my grandparents. They were in their 90s. And we'll work with you on permitting and inspection to make sure you don't have any problems. 
So when we align with God's priorities, we will be blessed. So if there is anyone among us of need, may we open our hands and we will be blessed. Amen.